Welcome, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me. Today, we have Tanya Gibson. She's a VP in Diversity, Equity, Inclusion for a nonprofit. And I'm so happy to have her because we too often think of huge corporations for profits when it comes to DEI. But we have a nonprofit VP um, who is here to share, number one, what I really want to know, how did you end up in a nonprofit? So that's such a great question, Michelle. Uh, for me, nonprofit was actually not my first industry. I've always worked for for-profit. And so when I got the call from a recruiter, uh, they masked the company that I work for today. They didn't even tell me anything about the organization. So um, I know for some people that's probably unique. They're so used to doing a lot of research. But for me, I knew nothing about what to expect um, going into the nonprofit world. And so when I got the call, it was kind of a, an SOS from the recruiter. Um, they needed someone to start an HR department and they didn't know any experts in the field. So that my organization decided to ask the experts and go out and find people who had been doing HR. And so when I finally got the job, um, I was a little nervous because I didn't know what to expect. Um, I was an HR department of one. And so there were always these questions as to, well, what is different about a nonprofit versus a for-profit? And so that was my forte into the nonprofit world. It was really not me looking for it. It was the recruiter looking for someone who had expertise in HR because there really isn't a difference between for-profit and nonprofit when it comes to the HR practices. People are people. Um, and that was what was most important for my organization. I love it. Uh, I, I'm wondering why that uh, the recruiter masked it but either way, I'm glad they did. So you could be in a nonprofit still doing the same great work. Yeah. What advice would you give to someone who wants to enter into the DEI space as a professional? I would say, give yourself grace. You are not going to know all the answers, no matter any person in this field who says they are the expert, things change all the time. And so you have to be willing to understand that these are moving pieces. Um, our world is so complex. Um, we use the term a lot when we're talking about our DEI work of intersectionality. And that's so important is to understand that there's not one component of diversity, equity, and inclusion that's more important than the other. They all have a part to play. Um, and so that, that would be my advice to anyone getting into diversity, equity, and inclusion work. Know that you have to give yourself grace. You're not gonna know everything. Um, and to also understand that it, it's okay if you don't know everything. You can say that. Um, that's a part of the journey in DEI is you don't know it all. Um, and so you want to bring others along on that journey with you. Excellent. Excellent. Um, I absolutely agree with that. Okay. So you're in DEI, you're, you're in HR, and you're looking at people of color and you, um, well, you said intersectionality and let's back up just for a little bit for some people who may not know what intersectionality is and talk about that briefly. And then we'll, we'll dive in deeper into what you do for people of color as part of, um, in the nonprofit space. Yeah. And so that term um, is a coined term in this space. And so what intersectionality really means is looking at all the different 
elements that make up diversity, what most people would know of as diversity, right? So that's going to be, you know, African Americans, Asians, women, the military, um, our able-bodied versus our, our disabled um, community, our tribal communities and indigenous communities. So in intersectionality just means I'm, I am one piece or part of a whole, right? So my physical characteristics make up a part of my intersectionality. I am a cisgender, meaning a born woman, female. Um, that's my attributable sex, but I'm also African-American and identify that way. Um, there's also other parts that make up my intersectionality of who I am. So I'm growing up in a first world country. And so there's privilege that comes along with being in a first world country versus someone who may have grown up um, in what we consider a third world country, or I live in a different socioeconomic class or status than someone else. And so intersectionality just means all the parts of a person that makes up all of the groups and demographics that we identify. Great, thank you so much. I, I love your definition and, and explanation. When it comes to nonprofits, we see them as a serving type entity or organization. But how do nonprofits or how should nonprofits build belonging in, in their organizations to not only the people who work there, but also the people they serve? And we struggle with this every day um, because, as you said, we're a mission-driven organization, which means we are to serve the community. So for us, what we look at in the term of belonging is that, that phrase of my title, diversity, equity, and inclusion. We look at the belonging as that next step in evolution of the equity work that we do. So trying to make everyone equal um, is not always, um, is, it's easier said than done. And so we, we add that next layer of equity work into the conversation. So how do we make sure that all of the work that we're doing reaches everyone and is welcoming um, and we make sure that we don't say that we come into a community, we are already in the community, we are the community. And so how do we make sure that not only the staff that we want to recruit and come into our offices or our agencies um, feel that they are welcome? And so that's that concept that we talked about earlier about intersectionality, identifying and recognizing and empowering all the parts of a person that makes them who they are. And that same concept can then be looked at when we are working in the communities that we're in. Um, and that's so important for us because belonging really does mean, you know, do I have someone that looks like me um, that understands where I've come from and the background that, that I am and my lived experiences? Um, and even if maybe that person doesn't, has not grown up the same way that I have grown up or has the same lived experiences, do they understand who I am and what, what about my world and my life makes me who I am? And that's so important when we're talking about that concept of belonging. Um, and so that's why it was important for my organization to make sure that not only do we acknowledge diversity and inclusion, which a lot of organizations have someone in some form or fashion that has that title now, um, but we also want to make sure that the equity was not forgotten because it's great to say diversity. It's wonderful that we want to be inclusive, but how is that actually impacted when it comes to your policies and your procedures for your staff, your workforce? and for the communities that we work in. Now, as we look in the, the nonprofit sector right now, um, doing COVID-19, when it comes to serving people of color, how has that been? Because we are, 
we're working like the nonprofit employees may be working remotely. So how do you service or provide services now to those, the people of color communities that are looking for, you, for your support? Well, for us, I think it was definitely something that we were already doing. We, were, we already are in those communities. And so it was just making a paradigm shift because we were so used to having the in-person connectedness that now our organization just wanted to make sure that we were reaching everyone where they were at. That's very important for us. So um, virtually as we're doing today, so we had to do a paradigm shift for some agencies, especially in our rural communities, where we know that there are some disparities, even access to internet, um, and that connectedness can sometimes be a little bit more challenging. So it was um, finding ways to incorporate technology where, where it was accessible. And if technology wasn't accessible, we do have other services that we provide as an organization. So the work never stops for us. And so if we could not come connect with them virtually, obviously we were practicing um, social distancing guidelines, but there were other ways that we were serving the community. So it would be, we would go to the schools where we know our, what we call our littles, our mentees would go to and pick up food if schools were passing that out. Um, we would contact people by telephone if we had the ability to, just to check in with them um, and stay socially connected in that way. Um, and also to talk with our legislators where we had the access and the ability to communicate with them, to explain to them that in this time, um, we already knew as a nonprofit that the communities that we're in were already vulnerable communities and already had disparities. Um, and so it was just re-emphasizing that and re-engaging our legislators in all of the communities that we serve that are, the people of color um, were already vulnerable. And COVID-19 has, in many cases, as I'm sure many people have already seen in the news and the media, it's just exacerbated a lot of those disparities. And so for all of our workers, it was just trying to make sure that whatever access or, or services that our kids and their families needed, that we were there for them. If it was picking up the phone, bringing a board game to their home, helping them and providing them with any kinds of subsidies they may need or require to help keep the bills um, being paid. So we were just doing all of the things we already were doing, but just doing it in more creative ways to make sure we were keeping everyone safe. Yes, um, I love the ability to be able to meet virtually um, when, when of course you can, and I'm in rural South Carolina, so I absolutely understand um, the lack of high-speed internet yes. <laughs> or access to internet, and it, and it bewilders a lot of people that the whole, the entire U.S. does not have high-speed internet, and like most of the U.S. doesn't have it, so definitely having different modes to reach out to people from telephone to um, virtual is, is always good, especially during COVID-19, if not after. What, what are you seeing right now in how organizations, specifically nonprofits, are engaging people of color in the nonprofit workforce? Well, you know, I, I can only speak on behalf of my organization when I know what we're doing. But, you know, I think that any nonprofit that wants to remain relevant is trying to do so to make sure that they're connecting with their funders or their donors or advocacy groups. Um, and a, a lot of us are coming together. Um, uh, many of us in the youth development uh, nonprofit space have recently tried to come together to talk more about, you know, how is DEI being impacted during these times? 
And so I would say that for us, what was most important was building community within our community, within our industry, and finding ways to partner together, although we were already doing that, but it was even more important for us at this point in time, not to forget the fact that, you know, COVID-19 is, is a term that for all of our kids in the youth development space, they don't know what that means um, for their, the communities that we serve. You know, they in many cases are still out. They may be um, service workers or quote unquote, the essential workers of our communities. And so we wanted to make sure that we were building the right kinds of tools and resources to educate um, all of the communities that we serve and to talk about what's happening with those communities and make sure that we're getting the information directly from the source versus trying to, you know, look at what the media may be talking about because we have that firsthand interaction. Uh, many of these communities rely on us. Um, they rely on that interaction. And um, as a part of our model, we are a mentoring organization that has to have contact with people. And so we're able to talk and find out, you know, what are the, what are the challenges? What are the obstacles? so that we can make sure that we're on the front lines with them, providing them with the services they say they need. Have your mentors been able to engage with their mentees during our, our I don't wanna say shutdown, but work from home or stay at home? Yes, um, that was one element that um, was a collaboration between our fund development department at my organization, as well as we have a, a program department and that's the, the department that works specifically with all of our agencies. And so they collaborated together and we do have a task force, um, but those two specific departments said that they wanted to make sure that we had um, activities, we had resources that we could then give to um, our, our agencies who would then provide those services to our mentors, which we call our bigs, and provide them to the littles, which are our, our mentees. And so we've done that through a number of ways, whether it be to have Google Hangouts or you know, use Zoom, which is really popular amongst the for-profit companies as well and um, organizations trying to use it to connect with staff. But we then provided them with other kinds of team building activities, things that um, in my field of HR, we try and do with the workforce. So whether it be board games, as I mentioned earlier, or you know, online virtual games um, or FaceTime interactions where they could um, you know, do makeup tutorials or, you know, want to play a checkers game with the board game and then they move their pieces um, or maybe start a book club or share recipes and cook something together. So we tried to find ways um, for there still to be that connectedness, even though they may not be in the same physical space. I love those solutions. We're seeing everybody say, oh, we should make our kids put everything down. Like, no, no, pick that up. You need to engage with people. Exactly. <laughs> So, so we're finding the positive in you leveraging technology to stay connected. Because before we were seeing we were being disconnected via technology, and and bridging the two together is is really great to see, at least from this engineer's perspective. Yeah, and that's what my organization is all about. It's about providing a caring individual, an adult, in the life of a child, and doing that through typically activities where they're together and so trying to be creative to find solutions when technology was available to still feel like you're connected even if the physical distancing is there so that's why you know I don't really like that term physical distancing um, or even social distancing because it, you know this allows you to be connected in any way possible so it was really just finding a new way to to share with one another share those experiences I absolutely agree I love it I love it 
okay, what do you see nonprofits, your nonprofit, with littles and bigs um, five years from now when it comes to um, creating places of belonging for people of color? Wow, you know, I would hope five years from now that we're, we are the leader in that space of talking about um, why it's so important to have a mentor in a child's life and to allow those mentors to be from any community and not look at it so much from um, a DEI perspective, but just look at it from a perspective of a caring adult being with a child and providing them with great lived experiences. Um, I think even as adults, we can benefit from mentors, people who show us the way. And so I would hope that five years from now, um, we're having a conversation more about why nonprofits are so important in our country, um, in our communities, um, because I think a lot of those experiences are more informal in communities. And so we're just formalizing a process that has been going on for hundreds of years. And so I would hope that uh, diversity and in inclusion is less of the conversation and that equity is the main conversation that um, we're all looking at it as just we are all one um, because the work that we do today is looking at it from all of the boxes, right? All of the boxes we know of, right? So we have an LGBTQ program. Um, we have programs with our African-American, historically um, African-American fraternities and sororities. We look at our tribal communities. And so we still box them in. Yes. And so I would hope that in, in five years, we're just looking at it as, okay, let's just go out and make sure that we're looking at a community and how they need to be served. So less on the DNI and more on the equity side. Yes, I would love to see that growth in five years or less. So we'll see what happens post-COVID-19. When it comes to people of color in the nonprofit sector, um, what advice would you give to a listener when they may not have as much uh, support as you do in your organization or they are a few steps behind where you are in your org in providing that support? I would say a couple of things. Trust the process um, because it's still a process, even in my organization, um, even though I, I represent diversity, equity, and inclusion, a, a lot of work has to be done on a daily basis to make sure that it stays top of mind because there are so many competing priorities. We, right, funding is, is are, are a great chief priority to stay in business. Um, child protection is our number one priority. And so that sometimes can compete with uh, what we wanna make sure we're doing. Um, and so I, I would say, you know, to brand yourself as someone who understands a certain dimension of diversity, equity, and inclusion, don't try and focus on all of it because that can be very overwhelming. Um, and if you're already in an organization and you want to own uh, this work, speak up and say something to you know, your key stakeholders. And more so than not, it's definitely a moral obligation, but for many of your key stakeholders and organizations that may be a few steps behind in DEI, you're gonna have to find a way to translate that to dollars because that really for our key stakeholders is where they understand the need for DEI programs in an organization um, and have the data to support it as well. So um, if you're able to pull the data around not only the ROI, the money piece, but also the data around how that's affecting the work that's going on in an organization, 
I think that will build a strong case of support for their more formalized DNI programs. Absolutely agree. I was telling someone on a, a separate panel, employers who embrace DEI during, during COVID-19 will outpace those who don't, meaning those who don't see it as a cost center, those who do see it as a value center. And, and sometimes you have to have metrics. They have to see what that value is in metrics, and that's fine. But too often it's looked as a cost center and, and you want to cut costs. So I and that goes back to what you said earlier about how to build belonging. Um, if you don't have people, all kinds of people, we live in, it's not a homogenous society. Everyone has different perspectives. Um, and the same can be said for DEI work. You want to have different kinds of people with different perspectives and opinions. And that's not just one kind of person. You need a, a whole subset. And that's what DEI is trying to do, is, is to mix it up a little bit. I love it. Well, Tanya, thank you so much for joining us today. How can people um, connect with you? So if anyone wants to connect with me, they can connect with me through my LinkedIn page. Um, it's at Tanya Gibson PHR, and that's Tanya with an A. Um, and so for me, I want to make sure that everyone knows my pronouns are she, her, and hers. And that's another really great tip I didn't tell you about, Michelle, is if you're getting into this DEI work, to learn more about the different pronouns, because that is a part of intersectionality, specifically for our LGBTQ plus community that identifies that way. So um, that always signifies to all of our DEI experts or subject matter experts that you understand a different element of DEI. Thank you so much for joining me. So all of you in the non-profit sector, or even if you're in the for-profit sector, there are some great information here on how to create a culture of belonging for your people of color. I will be back with another segment, so stay tuned as we all work together to get us through COVID-19.